Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Monday. It's March 1st. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Basement Academies. We begin this new day, this new week, this new month. Can anybody tell me where I misplaced February? <laughs> it just seemed to go, go, go. Um, I had the great joy of uh, going to church three different places yesterday. <laughs> Greenwich, of course, but then I also tuned in at 9 a.m. while Greenwich was live. Uh, I watched Greenwich uh, later in the day with mom. Uh, but I was able to tune into the Centerville Presbyterian services and at the same time Vienna Presbyterian services. So I've got a laptop and an iPhone with an earpiece <laughs> because the pastors at Centerville and Vienna were uh, retiring that day. Uh, two brothers that I've been in a small group with, a, a pastoral small group, really since uh, I got here in 2001, 20 years ago, um, they were preaching their farewell sermons at the same time. Uh, and so uh, it was a delight to, to share worship with those two congregations and then a little bit later to, to be with Greenwich. Um, yeah, what a, what a day. Um, Administrative note, uh, as you heard Eric yesterday, if you were uh, tuned, tuned into Greenwich worship, uh, this coming Sunday night, March 7th, at 7 p.m., I'm going to be having a conversation with a dear friend and colleague of mine, Gary Johnson. He has been at Greenwich before. Uh, he's given a seminar at Greenwich probably about eight, nine years ago. Um, Gary is a pastoral counselor. And so we're going to have a conversation uh, about uh, cultivating spiritual and emotional health in this time of pandemic. Uh, and so continuing with this theme of a time to heal. So we're just going to be in conversation. We invite you to dial in and tune in, and then we'll have some time for questions and answers as well, if, if there are any, any uh, interest in questions from uh, the the webinar audience. So register at greenwichpres.org and we'll send you the Zoom link, okay? I'll remind you uh, later in the week. Let's dive into Psalm 1 as we begin this new month. I love Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Lord, may it be so. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Mm. Love the way Psalm 1 stands at the beginning of the Psalter, inviting us into this contemplation and meditation upon God's word to, to, to set, set our roots deeply into the soil of his word and truth and then to know that we will be refreshed throughout the day, the month, uh, the, the life, and that we will bear fruit for God. So uh, let's re-engage our commitment to praying the Psalms and to reading Scripture daily, but not just reading it, but to, to meditate on it, to make it a part of our lives uh, in every way. All right, let's dive back into questions and answers. Uh, 
there's, there's several questions uh, yet to address uh, this week. Uh, the first comes with some challenge to it. This is um, based on a passage in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Jesus honors a Syrian woman's faith. In the conversation between Jesus and the woman, Jesus told her in verse 27, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So Jesus speaks to this woman in that way. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. The woman replied, Lord, even the dogs eat the table under the table eat the children's crumbs and then jesus told her for such a reply you may go the demon has left your daughter she went home found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone the question what is the meaning of the exchange between jesus and the woman concerning the dogs eating crumbs under the table well certainly a challenging passage isn't it 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 uh, presents us with a Jesus that maybe doesn't fit the way we think about sweet Jesus, meek and mild, kind and gracious, gentle, and all of these things. It feels a bit snarky, um, dismissive, um, if not condescending, uh, to speak to this woman in need who comes with a, a daughter who's suffering. Jesus has already been casting out demons and healing the sick all over the place. We, we know of that. We've been talking about that. So what do we make of this? <clears throat> I want to read the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel. So same, same scene, but Matthew adds one little nuance that I think is helpful to us. Now, to set it in context, just before this incident, Jesus has been responding to Pharisees and teachers of the law who were coming to him as to why he breaks the tradition of the elders and eats with hands that are not clean. He doesn't, doesn't wash appropriately in their minds before he goes to, to meal. And Jesus says it's not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of a person. <laughs> That makes him unclean. It's 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 our unclean hearts. But the Pharisees have this mentality that clean and unclean are ritualistic and traditional matters uh, that one can stain themselves. And then of course they look at certain people as unclean. Okay, so they were looking at Jesus as unclean because he didn't eat the right way. So in that context, leaving that place of encounter with the Pharisees. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So now he's outside of Israel. He's up kind of northwest portion of Israel along the Mediterranean coast. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Significant to note that this Canaanite woman, and there's a long unhappy history between Israel and the Canaanites, okay? So she's outside the family. She's unclean, okay? She's a Gentile, but speaks to Jesus as the son of David. So she knows something here, okay? Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And this is what Matthew is adding. 
So Jesus is unresponsive to her. The disciples say, Jesus, just do something. Get her out of here. She's, she's kind of bothering us. He answered, I was, only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Hmm. And then goes on and then the encounter. And then Jesus, the, the, he, he makes the comment about giving the children's bread. A reference probably to the children of Abraham dogs being the Gentiles, that's the mentality that Israelites had, particularly the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, had a mentality that those outside the family of uh, Abraham, they were dogs. They weren't just other people, Gentiles, but they're Gentile dogs, okay? And so I think... I think part of what's going on here is you've got this encounter with the Pharisees who are mad at Jesus because he's unclean because so he's he's a child of Abraham, right? He's he's descended, he's in the family. But they're mad at him and they're concerned and kind of clucking their tongues and wagging their fingers because you don't wash your hands the proper way. You're violating the traditions. You're unclean. And Jesus says, "You don't know the first thing about unclean." Unclean isn't a matter of outward realities. It's a matter of an inward reality. So a Canaanite woman isn't unclean. She's a person in need of redemption. So I think Jesus may actually be kind of tongue-in-cheek in the way Matthew captures this. He's reflecting the mentality of the Pharisees. But he does say, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And who are those lost sheep? Well, it is certainly the tax collectors and the sinners, etc., but it is also the Pharisees. This lost understanding that we look at other people and judge them by outward appearances, by nationality, by custom, by language, by skin color, this human trait, this human quality that is reflective of sin, um, Jesus, I think, is working in that context. So his words do strike us. The question is, did he mean them, that he's calling her a dog, or is he using that word somewhat facetiously to illustrate, again, set in context of this discussion that he's just had with the Pharisees about clean and unclean. And then, of course, he grants her request, casts the demon out. She indicates greater faith than the Pharisees do. Interesting. Think about that. She respects Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. She recognizes this messianic, um, what's the word I want to say? Kind of this messianic identity that Jesus is the son of David. That, that's, a, that's, a re, that's a messianic reference. <clears throat> and so she comes at him that way. And then she acknowledges the children, but even the dogs, I don't care if you call me a dog. I want in. I will do whatever I need to receive the help. And so even the dogs eat the crumbs under the children's table. And it's this notion of, it's like it hints at her understanding the promise to Abraham that Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you and your family, I'm going to bless all nations. And so she's like, hey, I get in on the promise too. You can call me a dog, but I'm still in. And so I think that's what's going on here, okay? Okay.
that it's it's really about the way we think about clean and unclean, who's in and who's out. And, and so Jesus does go to the family of Israel. His, his ministry primarily is to the family of Israel, knowing that he's going to commission his followers to go to all nations, okay? So when the new covenant comes, then he is going to bring uh, his people and his spirit in his people in his church will bring the gospel to all nations. So I think he's, the, 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 the snarky thing is, um, the, the woman can, she handles it well, right? She's not offended. She's not put off. She doesn't get in a huff and walk away. Unlike so many people today in the politics of offense, somebody says the wrong thing or calls somebody a certain name that, that you know, we used to make reference that was acceptable some time ago. You know, you, you, you it's just crazy. We live in a crazy offended time. And I love the faith of the woman who is not offended. She cuts through it all and says, I don't, you can call me a dog. I know I get in on these promises. I, I, the, the promises of Abraham are for me also. I, that, I, I sense that. She doesn't say it directly, but I think that's a part of what's going on here. So let, let me, uh, I'll stop that uh, question there and hope that's, that's helpful. Uh, the second question, interestingly, comes a little bit in context. This was sent some, some time ago, but it comes in the context of the passage that Eric preached on yesterday from James chapter 5, and where, about the prayer of a righteous person is uh, effective, as powerful and effective. Of course, we were, Eric was broadening it out, talking about healing and, and kind of the the. the the prayer of faith that heals. But in the context of that, the prayer of the righteous person is effective. So <clears throat> so kind of set what I'm going to say here in, in also in context of, of yesterday's sermon. Would God ever grant a petition to one hopelessly stuck in a sinful lifestyle? Again, the questioner did not hear the sermon first. So the question came a week or so ago. Would God ever grant a petition to one hopelessly stuck in a sinful lifestyle? Short answer, I sure hope so. <laughs> because the only kind of people who pray are sinners. Because the only kind of people there are are sinners, apart from Jesus, right? <laughs> so I want to kind of pivot and, and share a parable and, and try to illustrate and, and get at this question a, a little uh, differently. I want to read a, a short parable from Luke's gospel. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Again, set this parable and my response here also in the context of what I just shared about the Pharisees who view others as dogs, okay? So this is Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everybody else. So you have to hear that. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, that is the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Justified means being made just or being made right. So I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, that's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I believe it is the perfect parable. It is the genius parable. I'll try to unpack that. Um, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who think there are two kinds of people in the world and those who don't. No, ha, ha, ha. There are two kinds of people. <clears throat> those who know that they are hopelessly stuck in sin. And then there are those who don't know that. <laughs> those who think they are not. Those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. And so this parable is kind of presenting to us. It's a story, right? Jesus made up the story, okay? But to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, and he takes the Pharisee who was understood to be in that society at that time. They were thought to be the righteous ones, the good guys. But he ends up being kind of the villain in the story. Okay, And the tax collector who is looked down upon by many, certainly the Pharisees, he becomes the hero. This amazing reversal that goes on. So why this is the perfect parable... <clears throat> as we read this later, with which of the two characters would we identify or should we identify? Let's say it that way. Well, certainly wouldn't be the Pharisee, right? We, we wouldn't identify with the Pharisee in this parable because he clearly is the bad guy. And you, you just, it just drips with arrogance. He stood up in the temple and prayed about himself. I thank God that I'm not like all these other people and I fast twice a week and I, I give a tenth of all I have. So nobody's going to identify with that person, right? But do you identify with the tax collector? And in identifying with the tax collector, well, yes, I want to do that. You have to be careful that it's not with the smugness of the Pharisee that says, of course I want to identify with the tax collector because I don't want to be like that Pharisee. Do you catch how it works? The tax collector, in our identifying in, in this story with the tax collector, we have to be careful to not do it with the Pharisaic smugness of, thank God I'm not like that arrogant Pharisee. And so the parable gets you coming or going. And so I think part of what's going on here 
the wise person, the righteous person, the one who is justified, okay, made right, the righteous person only pays attention to their own need before God. They do not compare themselves to others. The Pharisee calls himself righteous in comparison. And thank God I'm not like all these other people out there. Oh, look at their lives. Look at my life. And so it's a comparative righteousness in a kind of a horizontal plane, right? You know, looking at one another. But the tax collector, and tax collectors were, were looked down upon in Israel. They were Israelites. They were, they were Abraham's children who then worked with the Roman authorities to extract taxes from their fellow Jews and maybe skim a little on the top that the Romans would protect them. So they would go and uh, take taxes from, Roman taxes from the Jews as a Jew, and then they would hand over to the Romans and then they would keep some for themselves. They would skim off the top. So they were viewed as dogs by the Jews. They were, they were looked down upon, certainly by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, because they were felt to be selling out their own people. They were in collaboration with the, the Gentiles, with those Roman oppressors. And so the tax collector comes into the temple, doesn't even look up. He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He knows his sin. He knows his need. He knows that he's compromised. He knows that he's probably taken more than he should. He has he, he's, he skimmed off the top. He's stuck in a hopelessly sinful lifestyle. It's his job, right? <laughs> and so I think the point of the parable is, and how I want to kind of tie it back to the question, there's only one kind of person and, and, and that's sinners, okay? So to, to the question, um, would God ever grant the petition of one hopelessly stuck in a sinful lifestyle? Absolutely. Because that's the only kind of people that pray. But in our prayers, we must guard against thinking that we are not hopelessly stuck in a sinful lifestyle, okay? That's the Pharisee. The righteous man in this parable confesses his sin. God have mercy on me, a sinner. He's open about his sin. He's open about his need. He recognizes that. And this is what ties back to the James passage. The prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And Eric brought this out so wonderfully yesterday. Healing is not just the healing of the body, but it's the, the healing of the spirit, of the soul, okay? So the righteous man is the one who confesses his sin. See, we think of righteousness as the one who doesn't sin. That's where we go, go off the rails. The righteous person is not one who doesn't sin. The righteous person is the one who acknowledges their sin, who confesses their sin, who knows it and is so deeply regretful for it, but then brings that before a saving God. That's the righteous person. 
So the Pharisee thinks he's righteous, but he doesn't think he has any sin. So his righteousness is all comparative. I'm better than that person. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is one who is right with God. And so the person who's right with God is the person who has acknowledged their need before God and then trusts God to make it right. I have no chance on my own. I cannot atone for myself. I cannot atone for my sins. I cannot make myself right before God. God have mercy. I cast myself on the mercy of the court. That's the righteous person. So, and Jesus says, this man went home justified, which means made right. This man, this, this tax collector went home righteous. Ah. Uh, years ago, after my ordination, I was given a, a, a small book of kind of pastoral encouragement. And in it was a letter from Martin Luther to a, a younger man, a protege that, that he was in council with. And so this is back in the you know 1500s. And in this letter of Martin Luther, <clears throat> he writes these words, beware of aspiring to such purity that you will not wish to be looked upon as a sinner or to be one. For Christ only dwells in sinners. Let me read that again. So he's speaking to this young minister who is feeling like, I, I, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to be righteous. I want to be pure. And Luther says, beware of aspiring to such purity that you will not wish to be looked upon as a sinner or to be one. For Christ only dwells in sinners. And you hear that and you may go, I, I don't think I understand that. Of course, I, I, I want a purity. I don't want to be a sinner. I don't, I don't want to do those things. And Luther's wisdom is, hey, there's no one who can do that. So beware of such purity that you do not want to be looked upon as a sinner. The Pharisee did not want to be looked upon as a sinner. He wanted to be looked upon as righteous. The tax collector understood, everybody knows who I am and I will identify with that. Christians, we're the ones who raise our hands and say, we know we are sinners. We openly confess it. We acknowledge it. We do not think we're perfect. In fact, we're the ones who say that we're not perfect, which is why we need the Savior, okay? Christ only dwells in sinners. And the person who does not believe that they are a sinner, well, Christ will not dwell in that person, Right? You, th Jesus said it himself, uh, the healthy have no need of the doctor, only the sick. It's kind of like, I have not come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners. You think you're righteous, you Pharisees, you tax, I mean, I'm sorry, you Pharisees, you Sadducees. Okay, have it your way. You want nothing to do with me? Fine, okay. But he tells these parables to try to win them, but he does it by elevating the tax collector and putting the Pharisee down. Luther elsewhere, uh, I, I couldn't track it down exactly, so this may be a, a, a misquote, misquote, but sin boldly and go to the cross boldly. Acknowledge openly our sin. As Jesus said in the opening beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who know they've got no chance with God. Blessed are those who know they are hopelessly stuck in sinful lifestyles. Blessed are those who mourn their own sin. Blessed are those who are meek. They're not bold. They're not out there comparing themselves. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, it's this understanding. And so I, I appreciate the question and the, and the questioner. I, again, I don't know who, who sends me these questions. The righteous person is the person who acknowledges their sin openly. And that person who prays, who's praying not in their own power, their own merits, their own righteousness, that God has to hear me because I'm such a swell person, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on these other people that I'm praying for. That person prays wisely, maturely, effectively, and with great, with great power. I think I'll stop there um, and, and close out. Uh, and uh, good to be back uh, here with you. And look forward to this week as we uh, wrestle through more questions and answers. Let, let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us uh, sinners. Have mercy on us as we um, acknowledge uh, our great need before you. Guard us from the spirit of the Pharisee who looks down on others as dogs, looks at others not like us as people unworthy of your love and favor. And how we thank you for Jesus who came not only for the lost sheep of Israel, but for all nations and all peoples. And so for the faith of the Canaanite uh, Syrian woman and for the humility of the tax collector, uh, we thank you. And we pray that these stories uh, would get inside us and that we might have such a humble faith that we would call upon you in our time of need as we acknowledge our great dependence upon you, Lord. We can't do this life on our own. And so hear our prayer as we make it now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can even hear in the Lord's Prayer, give us this daily bread. Give us some crumbs under the table. We'll take from the children's bread, Lord, we, we will take what you provide. And forgive us our debts, for we are such great sinners. Love that prayer. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his gracious face to shine upon you this day and forevermore. Amen.